Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. gospel reading this morning is from Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And this is the word of God for the people of God. God. Now keep out your Romans 12 passage, because we'll come back to that in some detail. Part of our Christian understanding of the world is that most people are enslaved by sin. The sin varies from person to person, but sin forces people to do things they're ashamed of and hate to do, things that are bad for them and hurt other people. And we have all been chained together, side by side, at one time or another by our common enemy of souls, the devil who would steal our souls for eternity. And we believe that the only way to get free from our particular set of sins is to turn our lives over to Jesus, to follow deeply and thoroughly as the complete Lord of our lives. Who do you know who is a slave to some sin? I'm sure you know someone. Perhaps a relative or a friend or a neighbor or yourself. 
The sin may be addiction to a chemical or it may be something more socially acceptable, such as being a slave to anger or revenge or gossip or revenge-seeking or laziness or even slavery to making money or to watching sports or to following politics. There's so many sins that we fall into. Who do you know who appears to be a slave to some form of sin? Are you still a slave? Our first reading today goes back to the time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, enslaved by the Egyptian ruling class. Moses, a Hebrew man who had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, had killed an Egyptian overseer who was beating an Israelite and had fled to the desert area of Midian in the northwest corner of what we now know as Saudi Arabia. There he met Jethro and his daughters. He had seven daughters. He married one of the daughters, Zipporah, and had a son by her. And Moses lived with Jethro's family. After many years, Moses was tending the flock when he saw an amazing sight. It was a bush on fire, but the bush did not burn up. And as he went to look at the bush, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. And the bush replied to him, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And then God in the bush announced, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. These three men were the ancestors of the Israelites. Jacob, also known as Israel, was the son of Isaac. And Isaac was the son of Abraham. And all the twelve tribes of the Israelites were descended from Israel, the man whose former name was Jacob. God said through the bush, I heard the cries of my people in Egypt, and I've come to rescue them and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And I'm sending you to lead them out of Egypt. Moses said, in effect, you want me to do what? But God said he would be with Moses. And so Moses asked, they'll ask me, who sent me? What is your name? And then God told Moses, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Now in ancient Hebrew, I am who I am is written Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in ancient Hebrew. Later on, vows were added, which gives us Yahweh as the sacred name of God, which is too sacred for Jews to write, lest the paper on which it's written fall into the dirt. And so, in most English Bibles, since many of the scholars who originally translated the Old Testament for King James were Jewish, we follow that custom and tend to use the Lord whenever the Hebrew used YHWH. If you pay attention, especially in the Gospel of John, the Jews of Jesus' day got very worked up whenever Jesus said, I am. People didn't, simply didn't say, I am, because it was the name of God. Whenever Jesus said, I am, he was implicitly claiming ownership of that holy name. The name that said he was God. The Jews understood this, and they'd often pick up stones or grab a hold of him to stone him for blasphemy. But there's a deeper meaning to the name, I am who I am, or as many translations have it, I am that I am. 
Now, I want you to follow me through this. You see, for almost everyone, someone has given them a name. You've received a name from someone. The name distinguishes you and them from other people and animals and things. But God told Moses that God's proper name was, I am who I am. In essence, God was saying that other creatures and things have names to distinguish them from each other, but God doesn't really need a name because, after all, he is what everything else needs to be distinguished from. I am who I am, God is saying. I don't need a name. I just am. Y'all need names because you came later. And furthermore, God is claiming to be the foundation, the root, the origin of everything. Before everything was created, God simply existed. In fact, God is actually claiming to be the creating principle himself. I am who I am. I am that I am. So if anyone asks who or what created God, the answer is God is what creates the creating principle himself. The name is very profound. Moses and God spoke for a while longer until Moses finally accepted his commission and call to go and rescue the slaves, the captives from Egypt. And the mission was not easy, but it was right. It was good, and it was given to Moses by God. Over ten times Moses ended up having to go in front of a stubborn pharaoh but God was there and helped Moses all along the way. And so Moses was able to mostly succeed in this mission with God's help. A few key points to draw from this. First of all, Moses chose God. I'm sorry, God chose Moses. And God sent Moses on the mission. God knew where Moses was and picked out that particular bush because Moses was going to be there that particular day. Second, Moses didn't want to go. He gave all sorts of excuses, but God persisted and God insisted that Moses was the person for the job, and he still does that. Third, God was always there to support Moses. And fourth, the mission was a success. And finally, the mission defined how Moses was remembered until today. Oh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Set the people free. Several times in the past, I've asked you to speak to people you know who do not follow Christ. Perhaps these are people you may know well, or sometimes just by sight, like the family down the street from me, or the woman at the supermarket, or the man who works at AutoZone. He's got a badge, but I can never remember the name. Who comes to your mind today? Who are you being sent to? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. That person or group of people is your assignment from God. And your mission, just like Moses' mission, is to set those people free. For that is the mission of all Christians, setting people free from their sins by bringing them the keys to their chains, Jesus Christ, his teachings, and his love. Eventually, the Israelites escaped from Egypt, and after many delays, they followed 
Moses into the land that is today Israel and the West Bank. Actually, Moses never made it there, but his uh, protege led them in. And some lived in parts of the land we know today as Jordan. Modern scholars aren't in total agreement, but most people think that this happened around 1600 B.C. Around 30 A.D., Jesus was preaching in Israel. He had just led his disciples to the foot of Mount Hermon in Lebanon, in what we today call the Golan Heights. Simon, who was now known as Peter the Rock, had just proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In effect, Peter stated that Jesus was God's Son on the earth. And Jesus told Peter that Jesus would give Peter the keys of the kingdom, the keys to heaven. And through Peter, we have received those keys to the kingdom and heaven. We can release people from their chains by helping them understand Jesus. And so beginning then, Jesus began to teach the disciples what must happen over the next few months. Jesus told them that he had to go to Jerusalem, suffer greatly from the Jewish leaders, and even be killed. But then he'd be raised back to life on the third day. To the disciples, it was a grim future that Jesus was painting. And it was all predicted in the Old Testament. Yet this was too much for Peter. He pulled Jesus aside and began to give Jesus what Peter thought was a pep talk. Never, Lord! This shall never happen to you. Peter thought that Jesus was being unusually pessimistic. Peter would keep this from happening. Peter would make sure things were different. Peter, a strong man, thought that he knew more than the, than the man that Peter had recently declared to be the son of the living God. And isn't that the way we are? Don't we have a tendency to take what our eyes see and our ears hear and our minds can process and solve the problems with our own solutions? We know best, forgetting that whenever we pray, we're talking to the God who created the universe. Jesus turned around and let Peter have it. Get behind me, Satan. You're trying to trip me up. You've forgotten the concerns of God and are focused upon merely human concerns. Peter had forgotten that death isn't necessarily a bad thing for the Son of God, but might indeed be in God's plan. Peter had forgotten who he was talking to. Peter had forgotten the wisdom and the power of the God who was standing right in front of him. And he was looking at, at what Jesus was saying only through human eyes, forgetting that the Son of God was the one explaining things to him and the other disciples. And we mostly do the same when faced with a difficult situation. We forget who we can ask for help, but we can learn to do better. Once Sandra was unemployed, she kept getting the urge, that gentle whisper in the back of her mind to call a particular friend, but she ignored that urge. Then she finally spoke to that friend on, on a Friday and her friend said, Oh, I wish I had known just a couple of days ago. There's a good job opening up at our company. You'd be perfect for it, but they've already found a woman to take the job and she starts on Monday. And Sandra thanked her friend and then realizing there was nothing she could do about it, nothing she could do about the job, but that she had access to a great friend who could 
do something about it. She prayed. How many of us would have prayed for something to keep the woman from the job? How many of us would have prayed for a different job? But Sandra had been around good Christians, read books by mature Christian authors, and she'd read a good bit of scripture. She studied scripture. So she understood the power of the God she worshipped, and she understood also what Jesus wanted her to do, and so she prayed in this way. Father, I'm disappointed about that job that I found out about too late. I should have listened to your spirit whispering to me. And of course, that woman is probably far better qualified for that job than me. But perhaps you might find her an even better job, and then I could have that job. Monday afternoon, her friend called her back. Sandra, you aren't going to believe this, but that woman who was getting the job called us this morning and said she had received a much better job offer. Get over here and turn in your application. And Sandra did that, and she got the job, and she excelled at that job, and eventually she used the skills she learned in that job to gain an even better job, and that was where we met, and that was great. <laughs> Notice that Sandra had asked God for help, and she had asked for good for the other woman, not evil. What, where did she get this idea? From Scripture. She was following advice that the Apostle Paul gives in chapter 12 of Romans. And so God helped both Sandra and the unknown woman. Studying Scripture, you see, is important. It can affect our lives greatly. Folks, would you like this church to grow? Then pray for all the churches in Wood County to grow, both spiritually and in numbers. They're not the competition. The competition is sin and the enemy of souls. Other churches are our allies in the fight against sin and slavery to sin. Pray for everyone in this county to find a good church and become deeply involved in God's mission. Pray for everyone in this church to hear the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit guiding us like a voice in a burning bush and, find, and help us to find people to set free by explaining Jesus to them. And if we're able to do this, if we begin to pray and truly commit to bringing people to Christ, then God will grant our prayers. For that's why he sent us Jesus, to turn people's hearts back to God and set them free from the slavery to sin. And we carry the keys to heaven with us wherever we walk because we know about Christ. It will not be easy or simple, and it certainly won't be comfortable. Jesus said that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Carrying a cross is not easy. When we attended St. Paul's Evangelical Church in Marietta once a year at Lent, several of us would take a 10-foot tall wooden cross made by, from either 6 by 6 or 8 by 8 inch beams out of the church and set it in a hole outside the church, and then later we'd carry it back in. It was very, very heavy. Taking up a cross is not a light burden, yet Jesus asked all of his followers and disciples to carry their cross. Who has God given you as your burden? Who are you to go to and unlock their chains of sin? 
Notice that we're to deny ourselves. We're to put aside our wants and our desires and our comforts and instead carry our cross, our burden for the people that God has sent to us. And if you think you aren't being sent to anyone, then either you aren't listening to the Holy Spirit very well or you've ignored the Spirit for so long that you can't hear the Spirit. Pray again. Perhaps come to the altar here later in the service and pay attention to who the Holy Spirit puts into your mind. The Apostle Paul did a lot of teaching. And the reading today from Romans 12 is focused on telling us exactly what we ought to do as Christians. So many times churches focus upon what we should not do, but here Paul tells us exactly what to do. It's full of one of the most positive collections of instructions for joyful living you will ever encounter. Listen carefully to what the apostle tells us and send each other messages from this passage to lift each other up and for a good reminder of how to get along and do well in life. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what's evil, cling to what is good. In other words, be consistent and deep in your principles. Cling to what's good and hate evil. And always remember, sin is not evil. Evil is the force that drives sin. Hate evil, pity sin, and help people get free from sin. We earn the right to help people when we show them love and we cling to the good and stand with them against the evil. Ten, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In other words, practice extreme politeness, especially to those who are of lower social standing. Treat everyone as you would treat a high politician you like, if there are any. To a large extent, our society falls as we cut each other down and tear each other up. And when we lift ourselves over others, that tears down our society. Eleven, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. In other words, keep remembering what Jesus has done for you already and will do for anyone and what he's going to do for you in the future. Put notes on your fridge, have reminders set in your calendar, and signs on your walls. Every morning, look what you can do for God's mission. Ask God every morning, what do you want me to do today to help you in your mission? Twelve, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Are you joyful when things are going well? Are you joyful about things may not be so great today, but you hope they're going to come out better? Be patient and wait for things to turn around. Be faithful to pray constantly. Put this verse on your mirror to see every morning. Thirteen, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We teach our little children to share. Don't forget the lessons just because you're older. In fact, set aside an amount of money, your personal stash just available to help the person who needs something. You don't know who they are yet, but it's your own special stash for the needy. And be hospitable. I know it's difficult to host guests, but we should be like the poor Christians of South Asia who give all their food to a guest to be hospitable. Being hospitable means looking to a visitor's needs before your own. 
This applies to our homes, to our neighbors, and to our church. We don't do this because we expect something back from them in return. But you know it often happens that when we need hospitality and generous sharing ourselves, others will return the favor to us. 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And folks, this is so difficult. But Jesus always prefers that we show kindness to our enemies so that one day they may become our friends. Pray for them to be blessed and pray for them to come to know Jesus. 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We don't live alone. What happens to those around us directly affects us if we let it. And if we let it, we'll become like-minded with our neighbors and that will draw us all closer together. 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here's our key barrier to successfully leading people to Jesus. We don't start because we proudly think more highly of ourselves than of others. We all need more friends in low places. And we aren't successful in leading people to Jesus because we're too proud to visit low places and to meet with people of low social standing. You know, the odd thing about Christianity and Christians, which makes us different from other people, is that we have this unity of purpose, and it's assumed of us. We are the people who unchain slaves from sin through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're defined by our purpose. 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. It is so difficult to hold on to the high ground when people tear you down. But that's the mark of a great Christian. One who always does what is right despite what the other person does. The poet A.W. Auden wrote in his poem, The More Loving One, which is a poem about the conflict he's having with another person. He says, if equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, Paul recognizes it's not always possible to live at peace with everyone, but Jesus asks us to keep making the constant attempt to live at peace with everyone. And 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And this, my friends, is one of the ultimate tests of our faith in God. Let God take down your enemy, not you. Always give room for God to act on your behalf. Don't act too quickly. Let God have time to handle the situation. But what should we do? Should we just sit and take it? Well, Paul tells us, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, Paul says, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Or as my grandmother Olive Bowley used to say, kill him with kindness. For your enemy does possess a conscience and a soul and will be tormented by thoughts of injustice. If you keep treating him or her kindly while they mistreat you, God will see to it. Have faith in God. And finally, don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. 
We lose our souls when we choose to fight with the tools of the enemy of souls. When you're tempted to reply in kind to a provocation, don't ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Because you're not Jesus. But instead, imagine yourself standing in front of Jesus and being asked to explain why you did what you did, what your response was and why you responded the way you did. And imagine him standing there with nail marks in his hands and a spear thrust in his side and scars upon his back. You know how he got those wounds. It was when he went to the cross for you. When tempted to lash out at an enemy, imagine Jesus standing there and saying, I let my body become your bread and my blood become your wine. I sacrificed everything for you and for your supposed enemy too. Why did you forget all this and hurt another that I love just as much as you? Imagine what you would have to say at that point. And so I ask you now to remember with me all that Jesus did for you and me and anyone who's willing to try to understand what Jesus did. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.